0: Is Melinda in here? Melinda, come here. Please come here. This is my wife. I always say please to my wife. Come. I just wanted to say hello. I know a lot of you are new. My name is Ralph Howe and I'm one of the pastors here at CCC. And this is my wife. Uh, this is Melinda. And Something that I know God does is that he, he makes teams. You know, I mean, we've got a team of people at this church. He makes teams out of husbands and wives in ministry. And uh, I love doing ministry with my wife. What happens so many times, like at this time of year, it takes people like four or five months to realize I'm with her. Like they're like, well, we know Melinda, who are you? So I want everybody to know this is my wife, okay? Okay, okay, bye. Thank you. was it? I might be in big trouble later, I don't know. Well, good morning. Um, I know that uh, I think last week, I, was, I know I was gone, but I think last week it was mentioned that I went back to America. My parents live in New York, and uh, my mother uh, is 74 years old, a, a, a sweet lady. I'm going to put her picture up here. I want you guys to see my wife and my mom today. There we go. So um, I visited my mom. She had a fall, and she broke her wrist. Um, and my mom's a tough lady and a sweet lady at the same time, but she wasn't letting anybody help her. I don't know if you have anybody in your life that way. But she was sitting at home. My mother's also an amputee. She lost her leg uh, to a disease 12 years ago. She lost her leg you know, all the way up above her knee, so pretty difficult to get around. So my mom was sitting in New York, living alone with one leg and one arm and wouldn't let anybody help her. So I decided to fly home and be with her, and we ended up. she ended up needing to be in the hospital. So I spent the week at her hospital bed with her. Great time. I love my mom. We we had a good time together. She's being well cared for. She's gonna fully recover from her, her broken wrist. Um, but it's interesting as we're we're talking about things. You know, my mom got real serious. You know, the last day I was there and she started talking about her will, and she told me where her will was at the house, and you know, she's leaving almost everything to me and a little bit to my sister, you know, and that kind of thing. And so I thought that was good. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. It's 50/50. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, then she she had this envelope in her pocketbook, and she pulled it out, and she's already paid for her funeral. Like in July of this year, or June of this year, like just a few months ago, she's paid for her funeral. It's like prepaid, right? And so she gives me all the information, and she shows me the phone number, and you know, so we're talking about death, and it's a natural thing, you know. And but I'm like, Mom, you you broke your wrist. You know, this isn't it. You know, I mean, your wrist is broken. It's going to heal. You're going to get home, you know. And, and, uh, but, but so that's kind of how the week went with my mom. I was really grateful I had the opportunity to go home and be with her. But, you know, it, I kind of started thinking that last day sitting there with her, you know, someday I may be the one in the hospital bed. You know, I've got four young children. I'm, I'm, where my wife and I are raising. And, you know, the bar in my life, it really went up when I became a parent. I'm sure that's true for a lot of you. I don't get everything right, but I really want to, live my life in a godly way i want to be a good role model for my kids maybe in the community but i just thought gee someday you know if my life doesn't end abruptly i might i might be the one in the hospital bed my kids might be the ones sitting with me you know and i just thought you know what would i want to look back on and be able to say the way i live my life you know and so i'll just talk about that for a few minutes what's what's most important in our lives from a biblical perspective what does it mean to live a holy life Um, And also I know a lot of you are new to Beijing here and uh, maybe this is your first time or second or third time to CCC. So also the values that I'll talk about briefly here today are also values that we hold very highly as a church. Uh, We seek to live out these values. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the value of worship. A great example of that today through the music and I hope the communion and everything else. Um, But the way we'll do this is, I, I think the whole Bible's amazing. I think it's all inspired, I know it is. And it's all valuable. And I think at different times you, you hit different places in Scripture, and all of a sudden it just explodes in front of you, and you just you see something in a way you never saw it before. Um, and, and I had that happen to me. I think there's a special place in the Gospel of John, and it's John chapters 13 through 17. And if you just kind of randomly read different teachings of Jesus, you know, you can just read through John 13 through 17, and he does some good teaching and some stuff, and he does a nice prayer. Um, but if you get it in context, I think it's more powerful. So here's the context. What's happening, and all these chapters happen in one night. John 13 through 17, and it's the night before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus knows. He's been pouring his life out in ministry for three and a half years, and even more than that, but officially, publicly. He's got these disciples around him, and he knows that in basically less than 24 hours, he's going to the cross. Now, I'd like you to just... Put yourself in that mindset for a moment. If you knew that you had 24 hours left, how would you spend that time? So I think we would do just what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He gathered his closest friends, his family, the people that meant the most to him, and he gathered them for an intimate evening of community and fellowship. And in the midst of that time, Jesus basically summarized his entire ministry once again for his disciples because he was about to entrust the church to these people. So one more time he went over the teaching, and I'm sure if you had one more night to spend with loved ones, every word would be packed with meaning, wouldn't it? So when we take that perspective and we look at John 13 through 17, um, it takes on a heightened kind of input in terms of, in, as far as I'm concerned. So I'll just walk through, there, there, there are more values that Jesus talks about than I'll discuss today, but I'll just highlight four or five of them, kind, kind of briefly, and then we'll finish with another worship song. I've really enjoyed the music today. Um, here's the first thing that happens. Jesus on that night, he looks at these disciples who were going to plant the church and, and lead the church and grow the church and Boy, if I was him sitting there looking at them from what I've read, I'd be like, oh, I need more time. These guys aren't ready, you know. I mean, these guys, just a few, you know, short period of time earlier, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You know, they're walking along with Jesus, and one guy's hitting the other guy and says, I'm, I'm going to be bigger than you in God's kingdom. I'm going to sit next to Jesus. No, I'm going to sit, you know, and Jesus is seeing all this, and he's going. So the first thing he does at last night is Jesus takes off his clothing, and he puts on the clothing of a servant and he gets a water basin and a cloth and he gets on his knees before the disciples and he washes their feet, which was this amazing picture of humility and service. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? You know, and Jesus said, listen, in in the world, you know, people with power and authority in the world get elevated and people serve them, but in God's kingdom, the higher you go in God's kingdom, the more you serve. And if you want to grow in the kingdom of God in your life, You have got to understand and incorporate this value of serving other people. Serving in your local church, in your local community, serving in your workplace. If you're a leader in your workplace, you're not there for people to serve you. You're there to serve those people. And so Jesus demonstrated this in an unforgettable way that night. And he said, listen, kingdom of God, high value, service. We're to serve Um, If if you're new to church, you might not know this. I think some of you do know this. When you become a believer in Christ, you are given specific gifts from the Holy Spirit, gifts that are to be used to serve the community and the local body of Christ. And we've got a ministry fair. It's already been mentioned, but so many of you have just shown up. Please take the time after the service to meet some of the leaders that will be out by the front door. Grab some information. Understand what ministries are here and how you can plug in and serve in this local body of Christ while you're here. Okay, it meant so much to Jesus on the first night that he took the time to demonstrate this value of service. And that's that's the first point I would make. It's a high value here in the kingdom of God. Um, I love Peter. Peter was there that light night and later he wrote some stuff that's in the Bible. And Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, verses 11 and 12, Peter's processing the life of Jesus and the extravagant gift of forgiveness and eternity. And, and he's thinking about it all, and then he asks this question. He says, "So, he basically, says so. In light of this amazing gift of Christ, what kind of people should we be?" It's a great question. What, because of Jesus, who should we be? Then he says, "You should live holy lives and serve God, as you wait and look forward to the coming of the day of God." And that's that's the kingdom of God, and that's the first thing that Jesus highlighted. The last night before he went to the cross. And then the second thing is we move from chapter 13 in John to chapter 14. Jesus highlights the value of faith. You know, faith is an amazingly powerful uh, force, what faith in God is. Uh, Let me read this, John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says this, do not let your heart be troubled. Is your heart troubled? My heart's troubled about 20 times a day, to be honest, you know. And that's why Jesus said this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am." So Jesus is saying, listen, you can trust me. You can have faith in me. And this is actually done in an interesting way because what Jesus said actually had a cultural context. Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to go to my father's house. I'm going to prepare it. And when it's ready, I'm going to come back and get you. And then you're going to go and be with me. And that was a cultural reference to the way a wedding would be done in that day. And that day, a groom and a bride would be, they wouldn't quite be married. They'd be betrothed. So they basically were committed to each other. But the marriage didn't happen yet. At that point then, the groom would go to his father's home and he would add on. He would build on to his father's house. And then when that was finally ready, he would send a text message To the bride, right? Or he would email her or something, right? I think he rode on a donkey probably, right? And he went and he got her. And then the wedding happened and they went to live at the father's house. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus says. He said, listen, don't worry. There may be seasons in your life where you don't sense my presence so strongly. You might wonder what's going on, but don't worry. I'm at work. I'm busy at work. I'm preparing a place for you. And when the time is right, I'm gonna come back and get you and I'm gonna bring you to where I am. That's Jesus' promise, and so he says, have faith in that. Hebrews 11:1, that great verse, it defines faith for us. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so I think, okay, if this was so important to Jesus that he highlights the value of faith in God on that last night before the crucifixion, then it's important to me. So how do I, how do you have more faith well, there's a lot of ways, but let me just, let me just name a couple of practical steps. Uh, wh- one thing I found is spend time with people who have faith. I mean, you ever, you ever been around a negative person? Probably, right? You don't really feel too good after, right? It just kind of brings you down, you know? And I mean, if you're with a negative perp- a person, do it with the purpose of lifting them up, okay? Don't let them pull you down. I'm not saying don't hang around negative people because they need you, right? They need our positive hope that we have in Christ. But in order for your faith to grow, spend time with people who have faith. I have so many people in my life who have encouraged me with their stories, with their persistence in difficult times of their life, and their trusting God when it made no sense. And I've seen them come out the other side of difficult stuff. Um, I'll just give you one example. There's a pastor in America. His name is Robert Morris. Now, some of you may know, may know that name. I don't know. Uh, but Robert Morris is in his late 50s now, and he's pastoring a very much a thriving church uh, in America. And when he was a young man in his 20s, he and his wife had recently been married. They'd come out of college, and he was starting a church. And in his prayer time, he felt like God told him to give all of his money away. You ever felt like God's told you that? (laughs) He's like, I felt like God told us to give all of our money away, and we were really nervous, but we prayed about it, and we did it. And they gave everything they had. They gave away everything. Now, of course, as he tells the story, it's kind of funny because he says, of course, we were in our 20s. We didn't really have much, right? (laughs) So it wasn't that big of a deal. So they went on and had three kids. They're in the midst of raising their kids. They're in their early 30s. And he felt like God said, Robert, give it all away. And they did it a second time. And then he was in his 40s, his mid-40s. And he felt like God said, Robert, give it all away. House, cars, savings, everything. And he gave it all away. I was like, Did he tell you to give it to me? Any part of it? A little bit? <laughs> Robert. <laughs> that, that like stuns me to silence for someone to do that. And now you have to hear from God and know you're hearing from God to do that, right? And God's calling us all the different ways of trusting him. Um, but Robert gave everything away. And you know, without telling you his whole story, um, he's been a pastor of a, of a growing and wonderful church for all these years. Someone gave him 129 acres on a highway in Dallas, and they built a church that's thriving with six to 8,000 people now. And when, when earlier in his life leading church, it was a church of 200, of 400, of 500, and he is having a major influence, really, around the world in ministry. Um, and he has more than enough. But I tell you what, you hang around people like that, who live their life with that kind of trust in God and it takes your sights to a whole new level. It's amazing. So step number 1 practical step, spend time with people who have faith. And then a second way a second way is to recount, regularly recount or retell the stories of how God has been faithful to you. I have a journal and I write down the stories of how God has been faithful to me and my family. And I go back and I look at it regularly. This last week while I was in America in New York, I met with my 75-year-old high school golf coach who I was uh, so thrilled to lead him to Christ 11 years ago. And we sat down and we had lunch and his faith is vibrant and it's growing and and his daughter and son-in-law, their faith is vibrant and growing and... He said, Ralph, how's your life doing? And for 45 minutes, I told him story after story about God's faithfulness to me and my family in our journey in China. And he was so excited and I was so excited. Guys, don't bury what God's doing in your life. Someone else needs to be encouraged by your story. And you need to be encouraged by remembering what God's doing because seasons come where it makes no sense. And we go, are you even there anymore? It happens. It's ebb and flow, Right. I'll never forget one story because I love stories, 1983, I was a baby, no I wasn't a baby, I was in high school, I just graduated high school, and I was getting ready to go to college, and I had gotten in trouble as a juvenile delinquent, and I was in and out of court a little bit, and it was embarrassing, and my life was really upside down, and my family life wasn't so good, there'd been a divorce and some things, and I was gonna go from New York to Florida to start my college career. I was working as a custodian in a public school. I was cleaning the bathrooms, sweeping the floors, repainting some hallways. And so every day I'd go uh, to to, to the school, and there was this head custodian that I worked with, his name was Marty, and Marty was a born-again Christian, right, and I wanted nothing to do with Marty. And he every day told me about Jesus and this and that, and I was like, get away from me, you know, I'm painting and sweeping and cleaning. And, but Marty used to play this radio station in New York, in America, that was a Christian radio station. And over the months that I worked with them, I realized I really liked this music. I liked the music, but I liked the words. It was positive. It was hopeful. Right? So the last day I went to work before the weekend came, and then I was going to drive 1,500 miles to Florida to start my college career, I prayed what was probably the dumbest and simplest prayer I've ever prayed and I said, God, you know, I'm going to work for this last time with Marty. I really love this Christian radio station, and I'm gonna miss this music when I go to Florida. I didn't even know, like, you could find Christian music anywhere else. I thought it was only in Marty's office, right? (laughs) I thought that was the only place it existed. So I said, God, would you help me to find this Christian music when I go to Florida? Because it's really, it's doing something in me, and I like it, you know? I wasn't even really following Jesus at the time, but I prayed that prayer. I went to work, I finished the day, I'm driving home, and a couple days later, I'm going to drive to a city in Florida called Lakeland, Florida, where my college is. It's just outside Orlando, Florida. And so I'm in my car, and I'm driving back to my home, and I've stopped at a traffic light. I'm waiting to turn left. I'm just daydreaming. I look, and there's a pickup truck in front of me, and the bumper sticker, or the license plate's from Florida. And I thought, oh, that's funny. I'm going to Florida. And so I'm looking around, and I just, my eye happens to go across the bumper, and there's a bumper sticker on the back of the pickup truck from Florida, about eight hours after I prayed about a radio station and finding Christian music in Lakeland, Florida, and this is completely true, said W-C-I-E, where Christ is everything, 91.1, Lakeland, Florida. (laughs) Unbelievable, unbelievable, right? Simple, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. God was so faithful at a time in my life where I wasn't even really pursuing him much so many years later I told my wife that story we were visiting my parents in New York and drove her to the spot and I showed her the spot right and of course she notices right away because she notices things I don't I was making a left-hand turn onto a street called Lakeland Avenue isn't that funny (laughs) I just think that's funny right and my wife noticed it right away and I didn't notice it but but uh, so the point is guys God is so vibrantly at work in your stories and yours and yours and mine and yours and we need to tell each other about what God's doing. You need to tell people who don't know Jesus about what Jesus is doing in your life. See, Jesus had less than 24 hours left, right? And he said, guys, you have to live your life with the humble attitude of a servant if you want to live a kingdom life. You have to live a life with faith. And then, and I'm, I'm going to go a little quicker because I want to finish this and I want to have some more worship. But no, no surprise, Jesus talked about the value of love Um, that last night, and we could certainly do a whole message on love. Let me read you the verse. Um, In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And, uh, no, no no, kidding, right? I mean, God is love. The kingdom is about love. And here's what I think. I think every one of us love people deeply in our lives. I think we have family members and friends that we love deeply. But you know what I think happens, because it's my story, is we get so busy that I think there's many people in our lives that don't realize how deeply we love and value and care for them because we're too busy to call them, to tell them, to spend time with them, right? But you know, this perspective change, if you knew this was your last day, What phone calls would you make? You know, if you knew this was your last day, how would you interact with your spouse that maybe you guys have gotten a little cross-eyed with and you're not seeing things the same and you're kind of a little mad at each other and you're going past each other? How quick would the forgiveness come? How quick would you get back in a right place if you knew this was your last 24 hours? See, God's calling us to love in a way that you know, proves to other people that he's a part of our life, right? I was at a funeral a few years ago with a very dear friend who's in his 60s, his name is Ron, and Ron's a godly man, and I love him dearly, and um, he had a friend in his life, they had a falling out, a bitter falling out, and they didn't speak to each other for over 10 years, and every time this guy's name was mentioned, Ron, the really godly man of just joyful and fun, always laughing, makes people feel good, he would hear this guy's name and he would physically change. You could see the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness. Somehow it just was one of those things that was just got him in his life and he couldn't let go of it. And he couldn't love this guy and he couldn't forgive him. And a few years ago, Ron's daughter, who was in her 20s, uh, passed away. And uh, I was at the funeral. I was a few seats back from Ron. We were all sitting there quiet. It was a viewing and, and um, this friend walked in. They hadn't talked in over 10 years. And I sat right there and Ron was half turned and he saw the friend, the old friend come in the back of the church and saw him walk down the aisle. And I'm sitting here and Ron's here and the friend's coming this way and they met right in front of me. And they sobbed and they sobbed and they cried and they couldn't get it out soon enough that I forgive you, I love you, thank you for being here, I wanted to be here for you, please forgive me. And I saw this reconciliation happen because there was a dramatic moment where their perspective was changed, right? Now, maybe there's people at your workplace, maybe there's people in your family, maybe there's people in your life that you're not right with. And that's complicated, I understand that, but Jesus is saying, if you will love people as I love people, Jesus, people will know that I'm in your life, and they'll be pointed to me because of that. And I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying, that's, I'm challenged by it, right? So Jesus talked about love, no, no surprise. Um, And then, so what have we got so far? We're to serve sacrificially like Jesus did. He went to the cross. Let's see, we're to have the faith of a giant, right, that just can stand anything. And we're supposed to love perfectly like God loves, right? Okay, I'm out. I can't do it. I'm I'm gone. Bye-bye. Right? I mean, there's no way I can pull this off, right? Do Do you feel that way? I can't pull it off. But God's not saying... You go pull this off. He's not saying, you better pull this off. He's saying, listen, this is how the kingdom of God operates. And Jesus said that last night. He said, when I leave, I'm not leaving you alone to try to figure all this out. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus highlighted the Holy Spirit that last night because he knew it was a vital relationship for you and I to live and lead a kingdom life. And Jesus said, listen, when I go away, it's a good thing because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to enable you and empower you to live this life, and so the Holy Spirit, the Greek word, it's it's called the paraclete. Now, the paraclete is literally one who is called alongside to assist, one who's called alongside to help, and Jesus says, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit is God, I mean, he's to be reverenced and worshiped as God, but his role is to come alongside of you and assist you in godly living. Now, okay, now I can stay. Okay, I've got God helping me pull this off, now I can do it. Jesus said, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit, but you don't have to, because I've given him freely to you, and he lives within you, and he lives his life through you. Um, I'm a golfer. Uh, Some new people may not know that. I like golf. I used to play professionally. I called myself the leading money spender on tour. Um, I spent a lot of money. I didn't make a bunch, but I spent a lot. One of the thrills of my life, uh, my golf life, was playing in a golf tournament with a, a young man named Gary Nicholas. And Gary Nicholas's dad is Jack Nicholas, And Jack Nicholas is the greatest golfer who's ever lived. Just, I mean, if you don't know golf, he's the greatest golfer who's ever lived. And um, Jack Nicholas caddied for his son Gary for two days when I played golf in his group, which meant Jack came alongside of Gary, put the bag, took care of the clubs, gave him advice, showed him how to play the golf course. And just amazing, I got this thrill of two days of walking with the greatest golfer who's ever played. So we finished the first round of golf. And the way it works in a golf tournament is you have to sign these official papers and then off you go and you come back the next day. So I had done that, I would signed it off and I was walking, I was gonna go get lunch and come back and practice my golf. And I'm walking to the parking lot and I hear these footsteps, like someone jogging behind me. You can hear it like on a cart path, the, the pavement. So I turn around, it's Jack Nicklaus. He's in his shorts and his shirt and he's got nothing, he's got rid of the golf bag and he's running, right? I'm like, oh, what's Jack doing? And, and Jack says, hey Ralph, and he catches up to me, he's a little out of he says, Ralph, have you got a minute? This is Jack Nicholas, the greatest golfer who's ever played. He's run up to Ralph Howe, and he says, Ralph, have you got a minute, right? And I said, Jack, listen, I'm going to Burger King, okay? (laughs) So you you gotta make this quick, pal, all right, right? And I said, no, Mr. Nicholas, of course, you know, what is it? And he said, Ralph, you know, I really enjoyed watching you play today, and I think you've got a nice golf game, but you made a few mistakes out there. And if you have a few minutes, I just wanted to kind of walk through your round with you and tell you what I saw and how you could improve. That really happened to me. This is no exaggeration. And for five minutes, Jack Nicklaus, the greatest golfer who's ever played, walked through my round of golf and said, you should have done this here, you should have done that there. By the way, you did a great job over here, really nice. And now I'm competing against his son. I mean, this guy's an amazing guy. He's trying to help me. I'm just another struggling guy trying to play golf. But I was so excited after that, because I used to watch Jack Nicklaus on TV, and I got home and I, you know, to my hotel, and I started calling my family. And I was going through my list of friends. I was hanging out with Jack Nicholas, you know. He, he thinks I'm a good golfer, you know. And somewhere in that process, you know, I hung up the phone with one call, and it just kind of hit me. This is unbelievable. I'm so excited because Jack Nicholas was giving me advice about how to play golf, right? And that's a cool thing. But you know what Jesus said that last night? Jesus said, listen, the God of the universe who created life and knows life better than everybody. He knows finances. He knows relationships. He knows health. He knows spiritual vitality better than any book or any other person you can ever get a hold of. And he is going to come live with you and walk by your side 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never too busy to take your call, always available. And I just thought, man, my perspective is so off. I was more excited about Jack Nicholas than it was about the Holy Spirit, right? Um, guys, the Holy Spirit's just such a significant relationship in your life. Jesus highlighted it. He said, man, don't, don't sweat it. Just get plugged into the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be all right. Um, asked the worship team, guys, just come on back up. I'm, I'm just just about done here, but just I can't finish without just this last part because Jesus knew that the most important need any of us have is the need for eternity. Right? Jesus knows that when this life ends, if it ends apart from being forgiven in Christ, it ends separated from God for all eternity. That's why in that last night, Jesus said in John uh, 14, uh, he said, I got it memorized probably, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He said, no man can come to the Father except through me. Then there's another great theologian, his name is Woody Allen. Some of you know Woody Allen, right? <laughs> Woody Allen said something I love. Woody Allen said, um, eternity is really long, especially toward the end, right? It's really long, especially toward the end. Jesus' most important message is the message of himself and the forgiveness and the life with God for eternity that's available if we'll put our faith and our trust in him. And uh, so, as I process my time with my mom, as I process... Jesus' last night, as I process who I want to, the values I want to incorporate into my life, and as I think about our church and who we are as a church, we highly value faith and service and love and eternity, the truth about Jesus, right, and the free rule and the reign of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Um, so some things to think about as we, as we worship here again.